Um, little did I know that God had other plans and that my mom was a prophet. Um, and, and somewhat sad, but someone kind of kind of cool is that my mom died in 2011 in April, and I became a pastor at the church three months later. Hey, Al Anderson, welcome to episode 108 of the Camino Voice. Today I speak with the executive pastor at Camino Chapel. Please welcome Brett Reed. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Alan Anderson, welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak with the executive pastor at Camino Chapel, Brett Reed, uh, who was also my youth leader uh, when I was in junior high and high school, uh, and performed the marriage ceremony for my wife, uh, Brittany, and myself. So anyways, we go way back, and um, he was suggested by Tobin um, from a previous podcast. So I was really excited when he suggested him, because like, oh, yeah, he'd be a great podcast interview. So um I was happy to have him back, um, a nice throwback to kind of my childhood and everything. Um, <clears throat> but uh, also just here, you know, you live life and there's people that step into your lives. And Brett was one of those people that stepped into my life as a mentor, uh, especially during that high school time uh, in my life, because, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out your yourself and who you are. Um, you've got a lot of questions about the world. And, uh, you know, you ask your parents a lot of things, and I have a good relationship with my parents. Obviously, I worked with my dad for, for a few years, and, um, but it's still one of those things that during that time period, you look for other mentors outside of the house. Uh, and Brett Reed was that guy for me uh, during those, that time of my life. And so, um, you know, I knew him from a, as a high schooler to him, and then, you know, we got married, uh, my wife and I. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, went on, lived life. And then, you know, I see him here and there in community, but, um, you know, I don't see him super often. And so uh, it was great to be able to catch up with, catch up with him, for one, uh, but two, be able to hear about kind of his journey to get to where he is, because I saw him as this mentor person that had it all figured out. But even during the time I knew him as a high schooler, he was still kind of just on this journey of God leading him in a, in a way that uh, he didn't know where the ending would be. So um, anyways, I uh, had a great conversation with him, great catching up, uh, and you get to learn a little bit more about uh, my history and just kind of that time period in my life, uh, as well as Brett and where, uh, you know, how he got to where he got to now. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Brett Reed. Hey, Alanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm interviewing the executive pastor at Camino Chapel. Welcome to the podcast, Brett Reed. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Brett. Well, I grew up in eastern Washington. I was born in Spokane, and uh, we kind of moved around in eastern Washington. My dad was a principal, a uh, teacher, then a principal, and then became a superintendent. We moved here in the summer of 1988, uh, where he became the the superintendent of the Stanwood Commando School District. And, uh, yeah, graduated from here in 1994. Okay. And uh, my mom was the uh, children's director at Commando Chapel for about 12 years. Okay. Nice. 
So how was it? Uh, so you were in Spokane until you were like what, early teens? Uh, no, I was actually in Spokane only for a couple years. Oh, okay. I moved from Spokane when I was two to Odessa, Washington, little town. Yeah. Then Lacrosse. Then Lacey, and then we moved up to Stanwood. So we moved around Eastern Washington. Got it. Yeah. Okay. How did do you remember a lot of that time spending over there? I don't remember Spokane a whole lot. I remember Odessa very little. That was the year that Mount St. Helens blew. Oh wow! So I remember all the ash that I thought it. I woke up in the morning and I and I told my parents it was in May. I told my parents or June and told my parents, you know, hey, it's snowing outside, and they're like, no, that's not snow. <laughs> Uh, so I do remember a little bit of Odessa. Um, I remember all of Lacrosse, all of Lacey, and then of course growing up in Stanwood from my seventh grade year on. Okay. Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> How did you like those areas? Because they're really small. Like, like even like Stanwood Camino small, but like those are really small. How was that? Well, I mean, as a kid, you as long as you have a couple friends. <laughs> You don't really care how big it is. The other thing is, is that we could ride our bikes anywhere and everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was safe. Yep. So I have a lot of fond memories of riding around in those little small towns. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. We were actually just over in, uh, or near Mount St. Helens between that and Rainier. And, um, yeah, it's just like, we got to go to one of the viewpoints and you just see like the massive cavern of like where it exploded and just, man. That's that was a crazy time in our history. Yeah. Yeah, that's so crazy, like, to see that that, that happen. So, um, very cool. So then you guys moved to Stanwood, um, started going to school. Were you involved in sports and stuff growing up? Yeah, I was. I uh, My primary sport was basketball. I really enjoyed that. I played in high school. I uh, played soccer. Okay. And then during the fall, just to keep myself busy, I did cross country the last two years of my, my high school. So mostly basketball and soccer is kind of what I did. Okay. So, hanging out with friends, of course, and... And I uh, was a part of the Commando Chapel youth group um, all through high school and junior high as well. Okay. Was, uh, who was the youth director during that time period? So the youth pastor actually during that time was, he's actually our missions pastor now. Uh, oh, okay. Mitch Mitchell was, was my youth pastor. And then Keith Pappas, who owns a business in town, was my junior high youth director. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay. So then you graduated uh, from high school. Where'd, where'd you go after that? So I spent one year at Skagit uh, and realized that wasn't going to be where I wanted to go. Um, <laughs> so I uh, went to the University of Montana, Missoula. Okay. Spent four years there um, and got my undergrad in teaching. I got a bachelor's in education. Okay. And um, and then my wife and I, we got married about my third year in. Okay. And um, so we uh, then ended up kind of going moving to a, a city north of Missoula called Shoto. It's just uh, just on the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains. And I taught uh, 7th grade and 8th grade science and uh, computers. Okay. And I coached up there. Okay. And did that for a couple years. And then we started, then we wanted to have kids, so we decided to move closer to home. Okay. Yeah. How was uh, Shoto then? Like, is that, that's pretty small then as well? Yeah, it's about, it's about 3,500 people. Really small farming town, ranching, wheat, um, right, right on the slopes, the rocky, great outdoor activities, hunting, fishing, everything you could think of nice. kind of a sportsman's dream. So it was a little bittersweet to be able to <laughs> have to move from there. But, uh, we were also one winter. It took us almost 14 hours to get home because of the roads. Oh my word. <laughs> so it was like, ah, we probably should move closer to family. <laughs> yeah. How did you pick out, uh, Montana, like Missoula for going to school there? Well, I, I, I used to, I used to say that there was some big, you know, that 
that God had this big plan for me and I'd prayed about it and that, that that's, that's where he led me to be. And look, reflecting back, I mean, there's probably some truth to that, but the, probably the bigger thing is I just wanted to get away from home. Yep. And so it was far enough away that I couldn't come home every weekend, but it was close enough that I didn't have to take a flight. Yeah. So I could come home if I needed to or yeah. wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that is really healthy for when you're kind of moving out and in that stage, it's nice to get out. Like we, we ended up going to Pullman, Washington at Wazoo, and that's kind of the same reason. It's like we could go to UW, but that's right there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and was, I mean, those are some of the best years of our lives. I mean, not best years of our life, but like we look back on it very fondly because it was really us learning to be a married couple, and we couldn't just run back to the friends we knew or the people we knew. Like we had to figure it out. That's right. That, um, that's we are some of our best best memories. Um, uh, my wife and I are in Shoto. We're um, you know drinking Diet Coke, eating popcorn, and playing playing Yahtzee. Yeah. Uh, we lived in a small little three hundred square foot <laughs> little tiny house. That she was continuing to uh, go to school, and I was <clears throat> and I was teaching. So we we're yep. on a limited budget. Yeah. 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 Those those times that was you know it was very similar. Like just. You know, didn't have any money, like just trying to get the basics, but you make it work and um, it was fun. Yep. It's a good time. So nice. So upon moving back then, were you, did you, uh, were you looking at the school systems? What'd you do upon moving back here? So I moved back and I started teaching in Ferndale actually. Okay. So I taught two years up in Ferndale, actually about a year and a half up in Ferndale. Uh, I taught science. Uh, let's see, I think it was eighth grade science, seventh grade math. That's right. And then I taught one year of, um, or one, um, one class of computers. And, uh, and I just realized God kind of started working on my heart that teaching wasn't going to be the route I wanted to go in. I was coaching and I was refereeing basketball. I was trying to get my master's degree to potentially become a principal Okay. and kind of burned myself out. And, uh, and I realized I needed to take a step back. So I took about six months just to kind of reevaluate and uh, had, you know, quite a few jobs, potentials lined up. And one thing, you know, one after another kind of fell by the wayside. And my mom called me and said, hey, there's a job open up at Commando Chapel for a junior high youth director position. And, and I thought, well, it's exactly the last thing that I want to do <laughs> because I just came from that. But as God would have it with a sense of humor, that's the one I chose. Um, so I started... Uh, July 1st of 2003, and we moved down here. And kind of a another amazing story is we sold our house up in Ferndale and bought a house in Stanwood, and we signed the selling of our house and the buying of our house on the exact same day. <laughs> so as it happened, you know, it was kind of like those kinds of things that affirmed that it was going to be good. So we got to move closer to even closer to family, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, God's... God's hand has been in that um, kind of throughout the last, you know, 18 years that I've been here. Yeah. Very cool. So what was that like? Um, you know, you would come from the school system teaching and, and kind of following this curriculum and stru- structure and stuff like that. When you show up at the chapel, were you handing off then, was uh, was Mitch still had been the youth youth pastor at that time or were you taking over someone else no so it was a position that they created specifically for junior high okay uh at the time uh cam fry Mm. was the high school youth pastor okay and he was kind of overseeing junior high but there was just kind of a there wasn't really a lot of organization Mm -hmm. and so um they needed to they wanted to get that kind of short up so they hired me 
and um, to do full-time ministry. So Cam and I kind of worked together for about a year, and then he stepped aside in 2004 in the fall, and then as it had in 2005... um, they asked um, the leadership asked me if I wanted to move into high school ministry, mm-hmm. which I, which I initially declined because I'd only been in the junior high ministry for about a year and a half. Okay, and upon reflection and prayer and talking with Allison, I decided to move into the high school ministry as a high school youth director, and um, I did that for, and I I think I did that until about 2014. Okay, so, and in that time. Between 2005 and 2014, um, I went back to seminary okay. online to Moody Bible Institute to become a uh, to become a pastor. Okay. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. So when you started with the junior high, then what was kind of the first few things that you were starting that you really wanted to see happen within that age group? Well, I, well, first of all, I just wanted to see kids get together. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of organized activities. And so uh, we had this mission back then. It was the reach, build, train, and send. And so I I wanted to organize the ministries around those four words, you know, reaching people, uh, building and training them, and then sending them out. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, sending a junior higher out doesn't mean sending them to Africa or anything, but into the community. Yeah. And so we slowly but surely began to develop different ministries that fit those veins, those words. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we started doing activities with kids outside, like on a Friday or Saturday, we'd take them places in the vans. (laughs) Um, we had a, a Tuesday night, um, event for them going on. Um, and then we had Sunday school and then they had camp. And, uh, so we just started developing those things a little more. Uh, one of the first things I did was to start developing leaders that I could trust that could also help Mm-hmm. in the ministry. So that's kind of what we did to begin with. Yeah. Nice. And then um, as you were doing that then, and that kind of rolled into the high school then, what were you, what was the kind of the state of the, like the high school sounds like it had a lot more structure in it because it had actually been like, had a person that was focused on the high school ministry and stuff like that. As you moved into that, what were you kind of looking at? What were you taking over? And what were, again, what were kind of things you were looking to build there? Yeah, so it was a similar um, situation. So what had happened is um, Cam had taken a um, a, uh, a sabbatical, I believe, sometime in the summer of 2004 or the fall. I, the, the timing is a little, a little fuzzy. But um, basically the high school went without paid leadership. There was lay leadership, but paid leadership from, I think, the fall until towards the later part of the winter of 2005. And so um, I found myself in a, uh, it was more, there was more structured uh, ministries, but the kids had started, you know, finding other places to go. And so it was a pretty small youth group at that point. Okay. And so I found myself kind of doing a similar type of rebuild. Yeah. um, Because we didn't have leadership there, the paid leadership. So it was a very similar process. Okay. Um, as what I had done um, with junior high. Yeah. So it was, it was very, you know, a year and a half did junior high, and then a year and a half later started doing <laughs> a similar thing with um, with uh, with the high school ministry. Yeah. Well, and and um, during that time, so I, I think um, so. One of my good friends actually uh, interviewed on the podcast, Tobin. 
uh, was going to the the junior high stuff. He had been going to a lot of the different uh, events and things like that. And um, he had invited me, and I would go to, like, some of the summer camps and stuff. But it wasn't until, like, the very near the end of junior high that I started coming more regularly to the events and stuff that were going on there. Yeah. Um, and then I had gotten to know you a little bit through that, but I really enjoyed, like, you just had this energy and – um, you really cared about the kids and then at different times you just jumped into the games. And, um, I just remember when we were on that precipice of like moving from junior high to high school, um, I think it was during that time period. Cause we didn't know, they were like, well, you're moving into the high school group, but we don't really have a, a leader leader yet that you're going to be talking to yet. So we were a little bit like, well, now we don't know who the leader is going to be and we're switching and, mm-hmm. um, and then when I found out, you know, I think we were, you know, we had been going for a while and then we found out that you were going to be moving up to the high school. I was super exciting for me. And I know me and Tobin were like really excited because we we're like, oh, awesome. Like that's another two more years with Brett now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which was really great because I feel like over that time, like uh, we got to get to know each other, but like to move from like a younger age and then into an older age and be able to have someone that's kind of a mentor during that time period, um, was really neat for me. Um, there's definitely, um, growing up, there's a lot of, um, you know, you're just going through all these different changes. You're trying to figure out life and what you believe and everything. And to have someone that was like a mentor was like, you were definitely a mentor in that sense of that time period for my life because it was, um, you know, there's a lot of different changes that are going on in your life. And, um, to have the comfort to go to the same person over that time period was really neat for me. Awesome. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that. You don't always, that that's one of the struggles in ministries at times. I think for a lot of people is you don't, it's not like building a table. You can see the, you know, you can see what you've done. Yeah. And so, you know, hearing that, um, you know, is a huge source of joy for me personally. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it was, it was, um, I mean, just as we were doing the high school ministry and stuff like that, it was so much fun to, to be part of that. I know there was definitely a part of that time period that, um, between all the different activities that were going on at church, the homeschool co-op stuff, I was basically at Camino Chapel like six days a week. <laughs> and most of those were all by choice. So, um, <laughs> I knew that place very well by the time I, I left there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a really interesting question when I interviewed for the job. They asked me, you know, what are you going to do with the private school, homeschool, and and public school? Because that was a big deal at that point in 05 was, you know, what are we going to do with the different, the the way that different kids are educated? Yeah. And I, I remember thinking to myself, man, I don't, I don't, I've never thought of that question before because I never thought of kids as a homeschool or a private school or public school kid. So that was one of the fun things is, you know, just treating kids as students. Yeah. Not as, you know, public school, private school or, or homeschool. So that was a, that was a fun, one of the more fun experiences, (laughs) just starting to meld all these kids together and say, Hey, we're, we're the same. Doesn't matter what way you're educated or not. That was, that was kind of something that I really enjoyed. Yeah. And as, as it was growing, um, I know that near the time that I left, I don't know the numbers, but it was a massive high school group that was, that was showing up to like on the weekly basis and stuff like that. Do you have any idea, like kind of your, the number? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, numbers are, I remember numbers, but I, I, I remember a quick story on this and then I'll, I'll get back to, I'll give you the answer there. Capstone grew to over a hundred kids, um, 
and but our action team was also big. But I remember one specific Tuesday night where we had Capstone. That's the name of the, or was the name of the. Actually, that's still the name of the ministry uh, that we had midweek. And there was there wasn't as many students there. And I said, "Man, where is everybody?" Mm-hmm. And and I remember somebody, one of the kids, shouted out from the crowd, "Well, what about us?" And I remember thinking, "That's the last time I'm ever gonna." Ask about numbers, count numbers. If somebody wants to count, um, go ahead. But I, I don't even remember what year that was. But we, it was, it was all about relationships, sharing Christ, getting kids to grow. Yeah. Um, ask um, a really safe and healthy place for them to ask questions. So, um, but you know, we were known for Capstone, and we were definitely known for our our camp, mm-hmm. uh, Summer Breeze, which yeah. you know brought in you know a lot a lot of students uh, during the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. So upon taking, like, after you were in the high school ministry for a long time as well, what was kind of the biggest differences that you saw during that time period of the shift from the people, the junior hires to the high school? Like, was there certain aspects that you were like, they're very different? Or what was kind of your thoughts on that? You mean going from junior high, going from junior high to high school? Yeah, I guess what what was the different feel? Because sometimes it's more of like a feeling of like, when you're in a room of junior hires versus high school, what was kind of the general difference in that feeling? Level of thinking. Um, you know, a, um, a junior high student is much more concrete, thinks very linear, thinks very, you know, takes you literally. Um, <laughs> everything you say is, is fairly literal. They're starting to move into the abstract, whereas high schoolers can very much um, understand some of the abstract of scripture. And so you've really got to be on your game and understand scripture. You've got to understand, um, how to defend your faith. Um, and so it was perfect timing for me to be going back to seminary and, (laughs) and studying. And I, and I used, I used a lot of what I was learning because kids would ask questions and I would, I may not have the answer, but I said, I will, I will, if I don't have the answer, I'll try to I'll try to find the answer for you. Yeah. That was the biggest difference is level of knowledge. And they didn't just take what you said as, okay, that's what it, that's what it is. Right. They questioned it. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed that challenge to be able to go, okay, they're challenging that. Now I need to really study what do I actually believe on this and be able to defend that yeah. in a loving way. Right. Yeah. So that was the biggest difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do feel like that with um, when it comes to kids, they can be this uh, loose cannon in the sense of like, you never know what you're going to get. You're going to say something. And especially if you have that large of a pool of audience, someone's going to kind of push back and say, well, I don't know about that because of this. And then you've got to really think about all of that. And yeah. So. I was always impressed with the students. They never did it um, out of off color. Yeah. They never challenge me in front of other people. They normally would come up afterwards and say, Hey, I didn't really understand what you were saying, or I don't, I didn't really, I don't really think that way. And this is why, can you help me with? So, um, because I would present it in, I tried to present it in a loving and compassionate way. Yeah. They responded the same back where they reciprocated that when they would ask questions. Yeah. So I always enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, and I always felt, um, like as part of that group, that you were very approachable. And again, I think it is because you were so involved in the whole aspect of that night, whether it was the dodgeball games or the kickball, like you were part of it as well. So it wasn't like, 
oh, you're the organizer, you do everything and make it happen, but you're not really part of it. Like you very much felt part of the group. And so hmm. asking you questions later on of like, hey, I didn't understand this or I'm struggling with this or whatever it is, felt very approachable, more like a friend, like friend to friend, not like I'm going to go talk to the pastor or like the director and he's going to, you know, tell me what for. Like it never felt that way because you were so involved in everything. Awesome. So. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then, uh, so you were with the high school group then until you said until like late two thousand or two thousand and fourteen. Yep, two thousand and fourteen. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. Got so um, two thousand and fourteen, I moved into the um, the family pastor, a family pastor position. I oversaw the high school. We had a youth, um, we had a youth leader, uh, Luke Lowers, came graduated, came back. Okay. Um, he graduated. He was in my youth group. Graduated. Uh, from Cal- uh, college in California, and then came back up, and uh, he worked here for about six or seven years. Eventually, became the youth, the high school youth director. Okay. And then um, I moved into family ministries. Okay. So I only did that for about two years. Okay. Um, and then um, they started to transition and need more administrative help, mm-hmm. and that's when I transitioned into the executive pastor position in 2016. Okay. So, and what does that role kind of encompass? That's a great question. <laughs> um, so that encompasses uh, basically overseeing the staff and the day-to-day operations of the church. Okay. Um, so with the recent um, resignation of um, Pastor Chris, um, I'm giving the example is is that the executive pastor now steps into the position of working with our executive committee, which is our lay elders, okay. to begin a search process for who the new senior or lead pastor of the church is going to be. And so that's, that's you know, one of the roles I have is, is putting assembling a, a hiring team. And then we have um, deacons and deaconesses, which we call our administrative board. And I um, help facilitate those meetings. And then I help facilitate our elders meetings. Okay. Runs, I do a lot of meetings. <laughs> I had a like former it. assistant that used to call me the pastor of meetings, but <laughs> um, but it's 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 working with people, so I genuinely um, enjoy. Yeah. Uh, we have a great staff, and working with our staff there, and and uh, so it's much more administrative. There's a lot more oversight mm-hmm. of general ministries, not just specific like family ministries, high school, junior high, women's ministries, worship ministries, missions, those kinds of things. I oversee generally um, um, a lot of ministries, including uh, overseeing facilities and the budget as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're like you're very much involved in every aspect of it. It sounds like. Yeah. It's it's a there's never a time where everything you never you never leave the office going okay I finished everything today, <laughs> which is actually it's not a bad feeling. That's a feeling of okay you know there's something I I know what I need to do tomorrow so when I come in I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I think most uh, business owners can relate to that. I'm um, sure. <laughs> you're never really done. And if you ever feel like it, it means you're forgetting something that's probably very important that you're like, oh, I'm done for the day. And then that's you go right. home and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, tomorrow we'll be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very cool. So then um, the other thing uh, that connection wise is you actually officiated our wedding, um, uh, Brittany and myself. That's right. Um, and we're, we were their first wed- uh, wedding, right? Number one. Nice. Yes, we got something. Yes, <laughs> number one. Yeah, I was just, I just was doing some premarital counseling the other day, and I was looking over a lot of the weddings I've done, and 
And to date, I don't know of anybody. Um, this is a, and this is a an awesome thing. I don't know of anybody any wedding that I've done that anybody has gotten divorced. Okay, and nice. so I, I focus on <laughs> premarriage counseling. Focus on, and I was telling the couple that, and 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 I jokingly said, I said, "No, you better not be the first one." <laughs> and they they laughed, but yeah, you and Brittany were the you were number one. Yeah, couldn't it, we couldn't, and we did it right out in the. In the commons area, we did. We there was it was a lot different looking back then, but yes. yeah, we did it right out here. Yeah, it was awesome. So yeah, I do remember uh, in our premarital when we were going through because I think the first one of the first things we did was go through this questionnaire thing, and and I remember we went through this questionnaire. And granted, when we got married, we were twenty, so we were not we weren't even twenty at the time we were going through all of this stuff. Um, so very young. And we get the questionnaires and that whole literal thing you were talking about earlier, we were still in that, like, not as abstract. So they asked us these questions on it and we answered them, like, brutal and literal on all of them. I remember getting your guys's <laughs> feedback and I'm like, we may have to redo these because <laughs> it's making it look like you guys should never get married. <laughs> I just remember coming back after the first week, like me and Brittany left the first week and we're like, okay, that went pretty well. Like, and we came back the next week and you're like, okay. (laughs) And we're like, what happened? I remember that now. I had forgotten that, but that's right. I was like, because I had to go talk to Pastor Steve who, I said, what do I do with this? And he said, well, they probably did it. They probably, they probably took it too literal and too extreme on both ends. And I thought, okay, well then we'll work. (laughs) Yeah, but I just remember coming back and um but yeah, I mean after we got through that like it was um it was great. Like it's I just I think it's so important for couples to go through that um yeah. really to go through that premarital and um what for us that was very beneficial was that <clears throat> we felt like as we were going through things, many of those things we had talked about cuz we I don't know, like looking back, like especially when I talked to other couples, like we talked about a lot of different things like finances, kids, everything, like when we were still dating Mm -hmm. and realized that a lot of people don't necessarily ask how many kids you want on the first date. Um, No, not usually. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was it was good confirmation wise as we went through like, oh, we've talked about this. Oh, good. We've got like um, but, you know, I think it's also very important. Like if you haven't talked about that, that's the time to really talk about and make sure that you guys really understand what you're, you're doing and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. That's the goal. Yeah. That's the, so it's really mm-hmm. affirming when couples are nodding their heads at you. Like, yep, we've already talked about this. It's like, that's fantastic. Yeah. This is a recipe for a marriage that's going to last for a long, long time. Yeah. And that's always the goal in premarital counseling. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, nice. So you've been, um, so you were, you became the executive pastor in 2000 and was that 16 ish? 2016, May. Okay. 2016. And I, I shared some of the responsibilities with, um, our former executive director, John Rice for a couple of years. Okay. And then in the fall of 2018, um, I took over, uh, I was kind of doing family ministry slash executive pastor. Uh, we had kind of divvied up different roles. And then in 2018, I took over full time. Okay. And so I've been doing full time since 2018, been the ex- with the title, so to speak, since 2016. Okay. So, so then, um, I mean, not that you're ready to retire or anything like that, but like looking back, uh-huh. um, from where yeah. you came of like teaching in school and high school and stuff, did you ever 
like, was it ever in your mind that you were like, I'm going to end up in ministry? Or was it more like, I'm going to be a teacher, principal, and I'm going to live that until I retire? Like, Yeah, so it's an interesting story. So my mom um, tragically passed away in 2011, and she is the one, since I was a young, I'm talking like three, four, five years old, that <clears> said, you know, you're going to be a pastor someday, you should be a pastor, and I'd always tell her there's no way. And so even when I got the position in 2003... I'd be at church on Sunday and people would say, hey, pastor, and can I ask you a question? I'm like, well, first thing is, is I'm not a pastor. I'm a director. I made sure everybody knew I wasn't a pastor because I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't see myself in that vein. And so your, your latter conclusion of I was going to be a teacher, be a principal for however many years, and then I was going to retire. That was the the vein that I was going down. Mm -hmm. Um, Little did I know that God had other plans and that my mom was a prophet, um, and and somewhat sad, but someone kind of kind of cool is that my mom died in 2011 in April, and I became a pastor at the church three months later. Wow! So she never really got to see the 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 beginning of that, but she was definitely the major contributor to the reason why. Um, you know, besides God calling me, my mom was the one that God used to instill in me um, and just to be okay with who he'd created me to be. Yeah. And so that that was a that was hard for me to come to that conclusion for whatever reason. There's probably a lot of things that we could analyze, but I, I but I was excited um, in that summer of 2011 when I became a pastor. I'm like, okay, I think I found what my calling is. Yeah. So... Yeah. Well, and I think it's, um, I mean, going, it sounds like she really did know more than just like thinking that you would, like she knew. Um, and just like you were saying with a lot of the high school students stuff that you see pass through, you don't necessarily get to see their lives or whatever come to fruition. Mm. Um, but you're part of that journey. And, That's right. and in the same way she was that for you, even if she didn't get to see the fruition of it, she knew along that path. Yeah, it, uh, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I don't. I I think in my mom's heart it was she knew at some point in time I would be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't going to push it. She wasn't going to just keep telling me about it. It just was something that she just knew in her heart. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I was content in some ways that that she didn't actually get to see it because I think she already knew it. <laughs> yeah. So it's just kind of that mom thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, Cool. And so, um, Camino Chapel has gone, like from when I was there, um, I mean, it had obviously from actually when I was there before that it had gone through a massive amount of evolution of like being in the Wayland Sanctuary to now where, um, to having the main gym building and all of that in the CE building. But like now it's even grown larger. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen through all of your years at Camino Chapel? Yeah. So I started going there in the summer of 88. And so this is my 33rd year of being associated with, um, you know, with Pastor Bill Whalen, um, and then with um, Pastor Chris coming and I think it was 96, and now his stepping down. So uh, we're celebrating our 70th year, August uh, 26th will be 70 years that wow. the church has been in existence. And the first, I would say, 20 years or so, there was like six or seven pastors. Okay. Uh, from 1951 to about um, 
late 60s, and then Pastor Bill came. Okay. And then from that point forward, we've only had two senior pastors in 51 years. That's crazy. So the evolution is is that the church grew under Pastor Bill um, uh, by leaps and bounds. I mean, we're talking going from, you know, 20 to 30 people to over six or 700 people in his 25, 26, 27 years in that range. And then Pastor Chris has taken it to a level of maturity beyond, you know, um, you know, spiritual maturity, I would say, from there. And so the evolution has been pretty amazing as you look over where we came from. The original building is still there. It's the first building when you drive up in. Yeah. That's the original building. Okay. Uh, we actually call it um, Heritage Hall now. Okay. And uh, it still exists. It's still there. That's the original building that back in... 1951 that uh, Billy Graham came on the island and and dedicated and blessed and he actually took the the offering that was taken turned around and gave it back to the church and that paid off the land in the building wow um, and so there was there was a couple thousand people that came and in that day a couple thousand yeah. people on Camino was a big deal <laughs> so and Billy Graham of course you know the great evangelist of the 20th century um, Coming to Camino was a big deal as well. So yeah. we uh it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well and, and even from like a um you know, from a business perspective, you look at many different companies, the the people that have to take it from startup to to, you know, a, a functioning like operating company to like the next level, you see you see people that these companies that rotate CEOs, you know, all the time. And they, these are like people operating at this super high level and yet they don't they have to keep rotating because like certain things fall out or whatever it's not working or that person's just not right for it like so not to turn a church into a business but from that perspective you're still dealing with people and people um to have people the same two pastors for that many years of that exponential amount of growth Mm -hmm. is is incredible to see that, that that the people were able to grow with the the amount of people that they were helping and yeah. um you know shepherding and stuff like that. So that that's a really neat legacy to be able to to move on and continue with. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a church. It's kind of an anomaly. It's in a small area. It's a larger church. It's on the other side of the island. Yeah. Um some would say the wrong side of the island, but <laughs> I think God might say no, it's the right side of the island. Um you know, it's a little bit farther out. Um, it's in, kind of in a residential area, mm-hmm. um, and so but that that's the beauty of it, and I think that's the, the lure to people is that it is truly a community church. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a, a big church maybe trapped in a small body or a small church trapped in a big body, one or the other, but yeah. um, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to, to have worked and to continue to work, um, and the evolution continues as we come out of the pandemic, as we come out of yeah. looking for a new lead senior pastor. The the chapter continues to uh, to turn even in our seventieth year. Yeah, well, very cool. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the first one is: What purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most over the last three months? Well, you know, I I, I was thinking about this question. And I thought, well, I better have something that's really meaningful. <laughs> But I really don't have one. The the watch I'm wearing right now, and it's it's a watch I was looking for for a long time. It's a Casio, and it's a tide watch. Okay. It tells me the tides. Oh, nice. And I'd been looking one for years, and I finally 
I finally found one, and so I purchased this Casio watch. So nice. I guess that's not a. <laughs> that's what I got for you, Brandon. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I mean, that's the. It's part, kind of the fun of having such a that type of price point because it's it's small enough that most people are relatable. Like they yeah. have something they bought with that's less than hundred dollars in the last three months. And sometimes it's those simple things that you're like, oh, I really always want to like this little thing. And it, it, most people would be like, why does that matter? But to you, it's like, no, this is great. This, I love it. Yeah. So <laughs> That's awesome. All right. <clears throat> Pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would their first day look like here? Well, that's a great question. So because it's crabbing season, yeah. we get up in the morning and we go crabbing. Come out, we cook them, we'd eat the crab. And then I would either take them... Um, um, up to Anacortes, maybe go to Anthony's, yeah. have a dinner there. Or if we could catch a ferry, um, I think that's one of the more unique things yeah. to the U.S. is the ferry system we have. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'd want to take them to the ferry and head up to Friday Harbor, maybe Roach Harbor, and, and have dinner up there and enjoy the, the sights as you know, because you can talk. Yeah. Um, you know, as the ferry's going, you can sit and talk. You can play games. And so I think that's what I would do. Yeah. Crabbing and a, and a ferry ride up to the San Juan Islands. Nice. I do think it's something weird because I never, I didn't think much about ferries growing up. Like, we would do them when company came and stuff. But, like, yep. there's only, like, a couple places in the U.S. that you can take a ferry. That's, right. and people, they, you know, I've had people that, I, you know, I went to school in univer- at the University of Montana. Yeah. And, and I would tell them, at that point, my parents lived on Camino. Yeah. And so and they're like, you live on an island? And I'm like, well, <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> uh, on low tide, it's suspect <laughs> on whether it's an island. But, uh, yeah, it was, um, it's, it's something, you know, I had a friend that lived way mm-hmm. east Montana, and it was, we took him on a, a ferry ride, and he said, this, this is the coolest, like, this is such a cool thing. Yeah. I'm like, yep. Yeah. And you take it for granted. Yeah, for sure. So. All right. Who's an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Well, I think, after talking with you before this, I think that uh, the direct executive director of Warm Beach, um, I don't know if that's his official title, but Ed McDowell. Yeah. Um, he's been in this community for a long, long time. And uh, Warm Beach is known throughout the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And I don't think we realize it's one of the larger camps uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So. He's been the executive director there for a long time, and I really respect and appreciate Ed's demeanor, and uh, I think he'd be a great person to interview. Yeah, very cool. All right, and lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? (laughs) So I've I've thought a lot about this, but it came to me immediately. The grass is not, in fact, most of the time, is not greener on the other side of the fence. (laughs) So uh, there's a guy in our church, uh, Don Baird is his name, and he always would tell me, Brett, just sit steady in the boat. Because he said, if the water starts rocking and you stand up in the boat, that's when you're end up going to you're gonna that's when you're gonna end up in the water. So he would say, just sit steady in the boat and uh, find contentment with that. So that's my that's what I would tell my 20 year old self. Yeah, um, is the grass is generally speaking not greener on the other side of the fence. Yeah. Well, and I think it. it one of the things that I feel like I've learned entering my thirties and like, um, I think a lot of times I would think as a younger person, like, okay, if we fix this problem, then we can move on to the next, fix this problem, move on to the next. And when you get into your thirties and you start getting older, you realize there are certain things that are just not going to get fixed. 
And there's there's things that there, whether it's issues or whether it's like uh, running a church or running a business or your family, like it's not that they're not going to get fixed, but there's always going to be new problems to solve, and it's always going to be there. It's not going to be something where you just turn on autopilot at any point. And I had to be okay with like uh, that's like certain things are just not going to go away. Um, that's and, true. Um, you know, I think in the Christian walk, there's a lot of that. Like that's what Jesus is trying to get across is like, just walk the journey with me. That's you, right. don't, you don't have to have all the answers. You know, there's not like a, a silver bullet that fixes all your problems, but walk it just, and I'll walk with you. And That's so, right. um, and sometimes it's so difficult, you know, that footprints in the sand, there's only one yeah. set of footprints cause he's carrying. So <laughs> right. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, very cool. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me, Brandon. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Brett Reed for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to commandocommons.com slash podcast. That's commandocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.